Welcome to our Thought Leaders Talk Business podcast, where we tap into the minds of business consultants to gain insights into strategies to help you gain a competitive advantage. Our guest today is Mike Wisman, a business executive with 40 plus years of progressive experience in Fortune 500 manufacturing operations and quality leadership in military, medical device, and pharmaceutical industries. Mike has held high levels of responsibilities in multifunctional, multi-plant, and multi-divisional arenas. He offers an extensive background in device and biologic manufacturing, total quality management, operational excellence, supplier performance improvement, and assessment using the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award and Shingo Prize Criteria. He has helped companies improve performance to world-class levels. Mike, it's great to have you here today. You were a plant manager when you first got involved in the criteria for performance excellence for the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award, which was produced by the Baldridge National Quality Program at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. What did you learn from training that you applied to your plant's activities? Well, thank you, Deb. It's nice to be here. And um, I appreciate your question. Vern Laos had made numerous speeches about uh, you're either on the bus or you're not, and was taking that very seriously. Anyone who didn't uh, comply, who didn't build the right, I guess, uh, I called them PMOs, performance management objectives, into their uh, uh, profiles and all that uh, they were asked to leave. It was getting very serious, and I guess the plant manager that I was replacing not only was someone they didn't see that supported the program, but also the plant that I took over had a negative uh, quality uh, review. And that was a a real big no-no at Baxter at the time. So I came in with uh, pretty strict uh, orders that uh, if I took the job, I would turn the plan around, that the two biggest goals were implement the QLP program, we called it, and I'll explain QLP in a minute, but, and uh, also to make sure that I turned my, uh, quality performance program into a a, a meets requirements. We called it a good rating or better by the end of a year. There was uh, what was called the Crosby training at the time uh, from the school down in Florida, but Baxter had sent the whole team the year before down there, including plant managers. But uh, as they trained trainers and all, I was trained by a couple of their trainers to take over uh, the plant. And I was given all of the training that came from the Crosby School, and uh, this was about meeting customer requirements. And you'll hear me talk about meeting customer requirements at the time because um, it was the first company I'd ever worked for that decided we need a definition of quality. What does quality mean? Everyone thinks they know what it means, but when you start talking about the the idea of uh, Quality isn't everybody's different definition of it. It's the customer's definition of it. So we define quality as understanding and meeting customer requirements. And the idea was is that when you identified those requirements, you measured them. And that began to give us the guidance for measurement. I like to tell a story a little bit because uh, at the end of that first year, the quality people came out to do the annual quality inspection. And I met a lady named Jan Miller. 
and Jan and I became close friends because I could see right from the way she acted and the way she was responding to the things we had done that uh, we had a lot in common. We did get a, a glowing report on our quality performance report. And Vern came out. He wanted to see the plant and all the different stations that we had because he had heard in the report that we created these stations. And so um, as I looked at uh, who was going to give the presentation, I decided I wanted the group leaders, we called them, in each of the areas. They were hourly people. They were the people that filled in for the supervisor when the supervisor was gone. And we set up platforms for them to speak with the flip charts for them to talk to and, and things. When Vern came, we, I sort of followed him around and let, let, introduced him and let him talk to my people. And uh, I remember him coming out of the plant. I have never seen a, a glowing team like you presented. And uh, he got in the limo and drove off. But um, it was something that, uh, you know, I felt like I had a job for another year. <laughs> and um, it continued to build the little things. You know, as you start learning all these things that you're supposed to do for uh, the Baldry's sort of sets up by asking you questions about uh, uh, do you do this for, for your leadership and how do you develop people and how do you, uh, you know, get uh, the, the mission, vision and values deployed to them. Well, my, my idea is, is mission, vision and value are something as a leader. I have to live them. I used to tell my leaders, uh, I said, you can't have a bad day. In other words, your people cannot go by your office and, and, and hear you say, damn this place, you know, excuse the word, but they're going to see that as the way you feel. And you must, or you wouldn't say that. I remember uh, the idea of empowerment was big. The idea of empowering an employee is not just suddenly you give them the reins and you let them take over. But it's the idea that uh, they need to be trained. What do they take over? What do they have the power to make decisions on? You need to make sure they're well-informed, well-trained to handle those kind of situations. You can't just one night decide to let them make all the decisions. That's not what empowerment is. Empowerment is making sure that they have the power to meet a customer's requirements when they're facing them. Earlier, Mike, you gave an example of FedEx. Can you share that with us? The ship was pulling away to go out to the oil platform that he had a package for. So he quickly went, well, our, our motto is guaranteed to be there overnight or your money back. And so this guy rented a helicopter is the story I heard. And he, he went out there and he actually beat the barge out there and said, here's your package, guaranteed to be here and got on it, everyone in the country seemed like started to talk about that story. That's commitment, that's power. Well, when the employee got back, the first thing his manager wanted to do was fire him for spending all that money on a helicopter. And uh, I guess they were in the process of possibly doing it when one of the managers said, wait a minute, can we do that? We're preaching guaranteed to be there money back. This person lived up to our reputation. Is our reputation worth renting the helicopter? It began to change the minds of the people. It began to show them that, uh, you know, they're serious. This, this is a person, maybe he could have thought a different way that was less, but he was on the spot. He was the one that was going to let the person down and, and fail to deliver their package. So it's those kind of examples that continuously inspire and, and 
we had to create them for ourselves. We needed to be able to tell stories about our people and how they, they met those kind of requirements. So every time we taught something, we tried to continuously reinforce with examples that were ours. And uh, it might have been from another plant. One of our uh, techniques that was used within Baxter that I grew to admire was that we had best practices, best practices from our North Co plant, which was uh, Mike Galling, who was the VP's uh, uh, fit, sort of, we called it his favorite. They were the champions. Uh, they, they would uh, do pilot programs for him and then teach them to the rest of the plant. I created a friend there, John Martino, who later on joined our team at corporate. And um, so there, there were just a lot of things to talk about as far as training and how it all fit together that uh, I hope that this little story has sort of showed you how, um, you know, as we got to training, when, you know, when it came time to be uh, uh, black belts and do Six Sigma, I took black belt training and became a black belt. When it became time to, to do lean, I took lean belt, lean training. And later on, they created lean master black belt. And I became master black belts in both of those. All of those things were my desire. My plant was um, uh, in Southern California, and uh, the rumors were that at the time, Baxter was moving a lot of its uh, plants overseas because of tax credits and things like that. And no matter how efficient we were, we were told that didn't matter because the tax benefits were so much different. So uh, it came to be that they decided to close this great plant down they told me as a person, uh, we don't need any more plant managers. And I thought they were going to lay me off. Uh, Roberto Perez was the, the president of, of the Finwall division, which I was part of at the time. Roberto looked me in the eye and said, you could be the best demonstrated practice to teach all those other plant managers how to do things under the, uh, the criteria. When you go there, he says, they're expected to do what you're teaching them. And we, we began to put it together that way. So that it's how I started my career to eventually be the corporate uh, quality leadership process uh, person. But quality leadership process was a word that was picked by Baxter with a lot of meaning built into it. The first thing was the quality. We want to make sure we're a quality focused organization. The next piece was the leadership, not the leadership of the person who we hired to be your leader, but the leadership that's within all of us to guide the quality and to help make it uh, a way of life. And the last thing was the process, the idea that this is a process. It's not something that we trust our memory to. to we we want to build it into things so that it's normal, that it's part of the operating process that won't go away when the, the cat goes away, so to speak. When the cat's away, the mice will play. We've all heard that. Well, we found that that's always part of the kind of little things we make excuses for that our people aren't doing what we want them to do. Those kind of slogans, the cat's away when the mice will play, well, why don't you teach the mice why it's important they keep doing it and keep covering for you and keep them and make them loyal. They don't want to let you down, but they don't want to let themselves down. You know, here were all these great people that I had. And, you know, they're, I'm their leader. I, I'm thinking I led them over this cliff to where they lost their jobs. I convinced people personally when I looked them in the eye because they had the idea that if we get more productive, they'll need less people and our friends will lose their job. And I said, we, we want to make it where you'll have to hire more people 
because we're doing so much, so much better that we'll take all this work away from other locations into our location because we're the best, you know, and that we'll sell more and we'll do more. And that was working really great until the tax incentive came along. And suddenly it's like, shoot that idea in the foot. I looked up in the papers and started looking for them jobs. And I don't know, I'm a religious guy. So I think this was one of those movements where I got divine help. But it's kind of like I found a job that listed for under a man named Sam Bechtel, who was saying, we're starting up a plant. We were uh, a development corporation. We got a new product, a uh, new device that we're launching. Uh, it's been approved by FDA. We got sales going out. We need a complete crew now. I called Sam. I said, Sam, you're saying you need a, up to 150 people. I said, do you name it? I can completely staff your plant because I'm laying off the best team in the country. And Sam and I had a little talk and Sam said to me, he said, you know, I believe you. He says, from the stories you're telling me, because I talked to him, you know, I'm always excited about my people. And it was like, I was so excited. He says, I'm going to do it. He says, send over Sam, you know, your, your supervisor and, and, uh, and, and we'll talk and we'll get it scheduled for how to transition. The, the whole story comes back on the idea that, uh, Later on, I uh, got a chance to come back and be their boss. You know, it's amazing to me how small the world is and how, you know, again, the, the right things within leadership that are taught by the, the you know, core values of, of Baldridge and things like that will end up fulfilling a company a lot better if they can stick with them than if they just, you know, try to play it willy-nilly and go with their gut instincts. Those are really good stories. There's one thing that you had mentioned once before when we were talking earlier, and it was that you were able to use the Baldridge criteria to help 28 key suppliers improve their performance. Would you please talk about the types of results that these suppliers were able to realize with your help? Well, yes, because again, it's easy to tell stories, Deb, when you document uh, your performance the way we were trained to document it, Baxter. And this is something that, that before I answer the question on the 28 key suppliers, the importance of documentation, it applies even to people going to look for a job. Take your performance charts with you because they'll always ask you, what have you done lately? Show them facts. Say, look, here's my tracking and how I track performance in my warehouse and how 28 key things are all going in the right direction. Well, when I talked to suppliers, I taught them exactly the way we did, you know, at Baxter. And so we decided to completely make it a system. Roberto Perez, again, the guy with the vision, like leaders supposed to be the ones with vision. He says, Mike, you train my plant managers to all win awards. I've got two suppliers that are, they're lost, Mike. He says, one of them is a molder that he says, you know, there's cavities in a mold. Mm -hmm. He says, we have to match up cavities because they're all different. They're all slightly off based on specifications. They're all within specification, but he says they won't interplace with each other. This one will be on the top of, you know, it's spec and the mating piece is on the bottom of its and they just leak. They don't work. 
when he introduced me to the 28 key suppliers, he pulled two of the suppliers aside and he says, look, I'm telling you to your face, we cannot continue the way we're doing because if you don't change in a year, we're going to have to find another supplier. And uh, he says, I'm giving you Mike Wisman and I'm going to give you him for as long as it takes to train you, to teach you. Uh, he says, we're starting a new program, supplier quality, we're calling it. But they were more like kids who were told by dad, if you don't do what the teacher said, I'm going to you know, do something bad to you. Because at first I think it was, a, a, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. And I told him, I says, look, you're getting a lot of things that Roberto's offering you. One is I want to incorporate you completely into the program. We're starting internally what we call on our supplier day. The supplier day used to be we call you in, we beat you up, and then in the afternoon we play golf and try to make friends again. And basically the uh, suppliers took Baldry's training, they took Six Sigma training, they took uh, Lean training, they took the quality leadership process training. The two presidents became almost like brothers to me in both cases. And it's funny because in some ways they were competitors. They're, they were from the same industry. But it's kind of like they were suppliers since we didn't want to have all our eggs in one pot. They were our two major suppliers for molding bars. We needed them both. And so Roberta's threat to find someone else would not have been an easy, easy thing to fulfill. But it turned out in a way that they did start seeing the value. They started getting the training. One of them said to me, says, Mike, he says, um, why do we have such a bad reputation with, with the plant? And I said, well, I said, they're an hour of the way, because this was in Puerto Rico. I said, they're an hour of the way from your plant. And you send trucks down there probably daily with different deliveries. When's the last time you went down there to see how they were doing? Uh, never. I, I send people. I said, but they hate you in the plant. They can't use your parts. That's all those people care about. They don't care about who visits. They want those parts to work. And I said, you've got a good capability here. This, this gentleman said to them, he says, we'd like to visit. And he went into that plant and they had a tremendously good meeting. They had, and, and again, same kind of theories. People had line workers coming out to demonstrate the parts and where, where they were failing speaking to engineers he, he basically stood up and he says you know you guys have we've agreed today on more improvements than we've been able to negotiate just as leaders he says if we can get even 10 percent of these done initially the top ones he says i'm going to give you that five percent price cut and i'm going to give it to you in good faith he walked out with giving us a five percent cost reduction and started doing things but it was everything from uh, you know, we had a problem at the time of trying to recycle. You know, we were getting, it was in the days when, when it used to not everybody recycled. We just tossed the corrugated in the trash. Well, you know, we, we, we said, you, you know, you're our biggest waste. All those boxes have to go someplace. And he says, what about if we use stack totes? He says, we send a trunk down full, we bring it back empty. We can bring back our totes for to use. He says, we'll put everything in lined you know, containers to keep them clean. And, and he says, and you can just pull the containers out and put the, tr the, 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 the totes back on the box. We say a million dollars a year just in, in 
corrugated, and he did. See, what the, what the whole idea of Baldry's talks about is the concept of the, the supplier quality chain of how it's one supplier to another. The shorter you can make that, everyone within that process is, is going to be successful. One more quickie with these two suppliers. We started a program internally. We were including them in everything, just like we said we would. We had the Baxter Quality Award for our back plants. It was a Baldridge-based program. They applied just like they would the Baldridge. They had examiners from our own organization come who were fully trained, inspected them, gave them feedback, and they grew. In this case, we did the same thing. We offered the suppliers to come. Those two suppliers that Roberto was almost going to kick out, they won the, they were the first recipients of the, of the supplier division of the, of the Baxter Quality Award. So all of these things, you know, were brought into the realm of supplier quality. So it, it's, again, it's just full of success, Dave, full of success. Everything you touched seemed to turn to gold for you. It was, the improvements are so impressive not only inside the plant, but also it expanded out into the suppliers. I understand also that you were selected to serve on the board of examiners for the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Awards, and that is a really prestigious role for you to hold. You must have seen and learned a lot from working with a lot of different types of companies. Can you share some of the highlights of that role? Yes. I, I mean, you know, there are obviously things you get to think about after 20 years of seeing all these different companies. But it's like the, the easiest one has always popped up in my mind because it's the logic of the thought. Leaders. Why do leaders want to do ballers? And when I would arrive at someone who was a leading candidate, they, they'd been following the criteria, they applied, they, they were earned a site visit. Uh, we sat with the, the uh, CEO and his team. And one of the questions we like to ask them is, what really caused, what was the thing you remember most that said, hey, we gotta do this? What, what made you wanna do this? follow the criteria and get to this level. They acted like they were almost ready for it because, and I think it's for the same reason I can talk about that as one of my favorite examples. It probably was one of their favorites in their career because it is a career changer. And they, they looked at each other and they said, we really didn't fulfill the passions and, and the things that we needed to inspire our organization to do these things. It was just really an amazing testimonial. It was them realizing it was them, them wanting to take more training, them wanting to get more involved, that I brought back to Finwall. And the very first time we applied, I, I asked Roberto, I said, who are going to be the category writers that could write the different categories? Because eventually I'll have to write them all a little bit to make them look like they were written as one, one unit and make them look systematic. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling my direct reports, I want you to write your section. And uh, I can remember sitting next to Dr. Don Volkholz, who was the head of uh, R&D, and, and uh, he had a whole bunch of responsibilities, clinicals and things like that. 
he was passionately getting involved in writing his application. And then you cannot learn as much just by studying as you will by having to write it and put it all together. Nothing gets you to reinforce your knowledge more than putting it down on paper and having to answer the questions. And I watched the six major leaders of Fenwall come together as a team that I could have said would have gone out to this eventual recipient because they ended up, this group that told me this was another company on the West Coast. And they were basically telling me their story. And uh, I loved it so much. I brought elements of that back. I want my leaders to get that involved. And it's almost like Roberto came up with this idea of having them write the Baldrige as the idea to get them involved. And it was really amazing. Because I, I had used little pieces of that along the way. When someone took me to a division within Baxter and said, you know, the boss said, you know, he wanted us to listen to you, Mike. You've been doing great things in the other divisions. Uh, and I'm saying, well, from what I've seen, you guys aren't ready for this. You don't really believe in it. You're even doing this only because I came out. And one of the leaders told me, he says, well, does that make a difference? And I said, yeah, it does. I said, because if you, if you don't want this with passion, then you don't want it and it won't work because a lot of it is built along around your passions. There's a whole category that is devoted to leadership. Why do you think that is? It's number one. And that's because you drive your company. Your little walks and talks are all getting picked up by the people that work for you. And so you can't say one thing and do another. It's not going to work. And it was, it was real sort of funny because one day I had a president and he was saying, well, I don't believe some of this stuff. I says, look, this is a set of criteria right here. I, had, I carry it with me all the time. I'm going to flip through this and stop and point my finger at one thing. Uh, you don't believe that systems should have measurable results? Well, yeah, well, kind of. I said, want to do it? You want to flip through and point to anyone? You point to something in this book that you can tell me you don't believe in, and I'll go away. It's a challenge built on the passion. I've been a business student all my life. And I basically uh, still applied a lot of the things I learned from business school. And then I got my MBA from the Army. They wanted all their officers to have MBAs during my time, right, right around the Vietnam War there. But it was something that uh, I, I've never seen a set of criteria that so perfectly asked questions. And that, that's by design. You know, when the Baldrige was created, and a lot of people don't know this story, but they took the top companies, the top business leaders in the world, and put their criteria together. You know, people like Deming and Duran, who write the books, they had input into the criteria. Crosby had input into the criteria. All, all of them had, had input. There's a, there's a hotline where you think you want to have input, you can write and say, why don't we do some of this kind of stuff? Why aren't we focused on that? If they get enough focus on that, that they think that the industry needs to pay attention to it, global warming is now one of the things that they're beginning to look at. So all of these are things that are front edge leading guiding principles that stay current. And I guess that's my sales pitch for the day. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned in an article that you wrote that not only were divisions of the company you worked for seeing impressive results, but that they were enjoying successes with their customers. Can you tell us a little bit about how that came about? 
in those days, the, the very first thing I could tell when a company was not doing things well was when I asked them, what are your com customer requirements? And depending on who you talk to, you'd get a different list. You know, and, and it was like, I remember myself before we were doing it. I remember a, a case when I first started working where I was always the talkative guy. So they gave me the the chore of giving the, the uh, clients a chance to go through and tour the facility to see how their oxygenators were built. And I had this young uh, perfusionist uh, uh, look at me one day and he says, Mike, he says, why do you guys pay so much attention to the cosmetic defects on the sides of the plastic? I said, well, we were taught uh, that you thought that that might be a, a floating object that, that was in the blood and would have to toss the blood out and nobody wants to do that for a sick patient you know and he goes my that's what the filter's for and he says besides we do this we plunk it and if it moves it's foreign if it's not it's embedded and and it was something you know what i was doing there i realized you, you can't see what i'm doing but he, he would like did his fingers like he was tapping the the the, the uh, canister to, to to get it to move and he says, you can really tell the difference in a flowing, uh, you know, uh, blood path, uh, what's stuck to the wall and what isn't, what, what's embedded in the plastic and what isn't. But anyways, it changed our way of looking at our customer requirements because I began to ask people, where do we get our customer requirements for the plant to build the products we make? Uh, marketing gave them to us. Well, these haven't changed in the five years I've been here. You, you telling me these never change? No, they never change. Once I said, come on, you know, and when I was talking to the customers, they'd say, Hey, our, our greatest worries now are the fibers in the fiber bundle. And we had nothing on that. Mm -hmm. So these are the kind of things that you start putting it all together as you learn. And you realize that understanding, truly understanding and meeting customer requirements is something you need to do every day. And these suppliers begin to know that. They began to do the same thing. It's like the, the president in Puerto Rico who went into the plant and started going, my God, no reason you hated us. You know, I would have hated me too had I been working here. You know, so these are the kind of things that they just need to keep talking to each other. I, I kept trying to convince people. I said, you don't think they want to make you happy? They do. Oh, they, they couldn't and, and produce this kind of crap. That's because they're not knowing it's crap, you know. I mean, at the time, we weren't even giving them annual reports. An example for you, uh, we had a, a supplier that, uh, uh, when we first started giving the feedback reports, went to zero on the on-time delivery portion of and And they got rated overall with a good portion of it being on time. If, if it met quality and, and was on time, that was 90% of their metrics. So it was 50-40, sort of. So they were they were failing just because of an on-time delivery. And they basically uh, looked at us and said, we send everything to you early. It, it's always on time. And we go, no, we've defined on time in the contract. Look at it. It's, it's plus or minus one day, eight hours. And we basically, uh, you, you're throwing off of our, our Kanban systems, our, our lean manufacturing process is, is built around the idea of get delivery on time based on lead time calculations and it's it's a just-in-time type process and uh, they, they sort of went oh we we didn't realize that and so this communication back to them 
they had such good control. They were always able to deliver it to us three days early. Why not move the window? That's what I asked them. And, and they said, we can do that. So they immediately began to be a top performer. You know, their scores went up, everything went up. And, and uh, this is the kind of thing they looked at and said, well, this probably would apply to our other customers who are doing lean now. And I said, yeah, because you're realizing that we were on the front runner edge of being companies that, that gave performance reports back in those days. A lot of companies never talked to their suppliers and gave them feedback. Your successes in quality improvement resulted in a position at the company, at Baxter, as the Corporate Director of Quality Leadership. And in that position, you traveled to and worked with, as you stated, 40 different manufacturing plants with results that earned 50 Baldridge-based Performance Excellence Awards at the national, state, and internal company levels. Can you summarize the value of the Baldridge criteria to manufacturers who are probably a greater majority of our listeners today? That's a, a, a question that's difficult to answer from a standpoint of tracking because we never really set up a, uh, uh, a reporting system that would take the the values that they save since they were all, you know, different plants within the company. But at division reviews, at uh, corporate reviews, we could get up and we could hear the different uh, uh, versions. And uh, we could also look at their charts. And they don't want people from corporate coming down, stealing their thunder, so to speak. So we had one plant that, that produces bottles of water. They're, they're water for hospitals to use in, in IV bags and stuff like that. I mean, they, we actually put them in IV bags, so they're not like little bottle containers. They're, they're bags, but it's one that, that few people might realize that one of the greatest water manufacturing and production plants in the world is that North Coast plant that Mike Gatling was so proud of. And uh, they, they basically make millions of containers of water a year. I mean, a, a day. So I saw the chart on their wall and it is so much of a cost saving program. And this begins to be one of the negatives that uh, companies don't manage well. What do you do when you are having that kind of efficiency? Because think in your mind what naturally happens in a manufacturing company. Company costs are material, labor and overheads. You get to where the labor goes down so much because material costs usually don't go down. And it's not the overhead that usually goes down, although we could affect both. But if you look at the, the way that cost goes down, manufacturers for years would get a cost savings program and lay a few people off. They just didn't need that many people anymore. And this one sort of ties in with the answer. You asked me what I learned earlier in terms of what some of the leaders said. This was one of the examples that leader said, it's us. Cause we, we, he told me this sentence. He says, we were laying people off for doing what we asked them to do and saving. They said, when they come in clock in now in the mornings, we, uh, we say, you have no work for the day. We have open classes for self-development and for job development. So you can pick which one you want to go to and attend for this. That's what they want. He said, you should see our accountants coming in their painting clothes to, to go down and, 
and uh, clean clean uh, up a facility for the day. He says it's sort of fun. And he says the other one is helping the, the community. And uh, I, I couldn't help but when he talked about these three things that he said they, they could they could do as an alternative to working, that's a positive. And he says, and then you also look at what you gain. We gain customers because they say, these people will even come wait your warehouse, you know? And so first thing we saw on the billboard going into their plant was uh, X community, home of this plant, that we love them here. Oh, wow. I mean, you literally had a relationship with the city that, that Baldridge, one of its foundations is community involvement and, and all that like I'd never seen before. I mean, this was really an incredible approach. So again, you're looking at savings. What can you save? It's, it is millions of dollars. And it's not something that necessarily will happen day one, but it will start happening fast, especially when you start implementing programs like Lean. Lean is something that, that almost can tempt you away. Lean, I, I traveled a lot. Some of my purposes in the later days especially began to be travel down to an organization that uh, in one day my partner and I would give them the, the, uh, the workshop and, and I, we'd actually take them through a value stream map. And our goal was to give them at least 50 improvement opportunities. 50. 50 improvement opportunities. And we never missed some of them. I can remember numbers in the hundreds, hundreds of ideas. Wow. And we, we wouldn't leave until they prioritized them and put them into their action plans. So again, it's, it's the ability to organize and capture them and direct them towards a purpose. You have a lot of experience in leadership, coaching, performance enhancement, assessment, process improvement, quality systems, and lean in manufacturing. If somebody wants to contact you, what would be the best way for them to do that? That's 847-271-5075. My email is mrwhizsr at aol.com. Thanks so much for your time today. You're very welcome, Deb. It's been a pleasure. I hope I didn't talk you to death. Not at all. It was terrific. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Thought Leaders Talk Business. If you have comments or questions, please email debbie f at creativetechresources.com.